0: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Fiona Pathiraja, the health tech VC. On this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with ambitious startups, outstanding investors, and visionary leaders in health tech. This week's guest is Victoria Engelhart, founder of Kalea, an app that supports pregnant women in their journey to being new parents. Kalea is also the latest addition to the Krista Ventures portfolio. The app has been downloaded over 200,000 times so far, and Victoria has been the Apple face of Germany 2020, recently being interviewed by Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple himself. Victoria touches on her career from rocket internet in Berlin to management consulting at the Boston Consulting Group to founding Kalea. Now employing 18 people in Germany, Kalea is building an ecosystem by not only bringing pregnant women online, but also bringing their midwives online. Victoria touches on working with health insurers, the challenges of bringing midwives online, Germany's new digital health DIGA policy, and advice for founders around resilience and hiring. Welcome to the HealthTech VC podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me and hello. Kalea is one of the leading lights in our digital health portfolio. It would be really great if you can share some of your background and tell us how you ended up as becoming a founder in health tech.
1: I'm happy to. So I'm Victoria. I'm originally from Eastern Germany, but grew up in the southwest of Germany, close to the French border. I I studied business and I was always very fascinated with business, but I've never really touched the topic of one time becoming a founder. I always thought I'm going to end up in a career in a big corporate. And by accident, ended up working at Rocket Internet, which is a big company builder from Berlin. That was seven years ago in Berlin, when the whole startup scene in Berlin started to emerge. It really fascinated me how fast they started to build new companies, how fast they reacted to consumer needs. And that's how I also ended up working at another company builder from r7sat1 which is the largest media company in Europe. And so I was becoming closer and closer with the whole topic And then I worked for Boston Consulting Group for another two years, which is very classic management consulting. But I always knew, okay, I really want to go back and I want to do something on my own. Then uh, eventually I founded Kalea because a good friend of mine, she became pregnant. And that's how I ended up becoming a founder. And I really love it. And so when did you start Kalea? That was exactly three and a
0: half years ago, actually. Quite a long time already, (laughs) So it's quite the journey from starting three and a half years ago to now your app's been downloaded over 200,000 times. That's an incredible journey. Could you tell us about the product? What is Kalea? Who purchases it? And and what's your strategy about being out there on the app store? Sure. Maybe let me start with how we started. Originally, we wanted to um,
1: really solve the problem of the whole thing about sports and food and nutrition in pregnancy. Because my good friend, I saw how she struggled. She wanted to do pregnancy yoga, but everything was already booked up. She couldn't find a midwife and she also didn't really know what she can eat and what she can do to get rid of her nausea. So we wanted to do something like a Freeletics for pregnant women or Mm. like an Asana rebel, but realized that only doing this is a small niche in a niche because pregnant women is already a niche market. Mm. And that's how we realized that we have to really tap into the pregnancy sphere on a more holistic level, and we uh, ended up integrating a complete digital birth preparation course. We uh, integrated midwife knowledge, gynecologist knowledge, and that's what we are doing now. We are really helping pregnant women and new parents to experience a safe and relaxed pregnancy journey and parenthood to get back to the other question, who is paying for it and what are they paying for? So it's the classic freemium app approach that you might know from Headspace and co. So we have certain content for free. But if you want to use all the premium functionalities, you can either have a subscription model or you purchase the whole course on its own. And so that's a B2C model. But the cool thing, and I think that's also something driven heavily by the pandemic, is that more and more health insurances in Germany but also even now in Switzerland and Austria start to reimburse and pay for the product directly so that you as a pregnant woman do, do not have to pay for it
0: anymore. You mentioned that this is you're based in Germany and as I understand it the German market for midwives is very different from for example the UK because you don't you're not assigned a midwife is that right? Yeah, correct. Let me
1: quickly explain how it works in the German market. So in Germany, when you become pregnant, you can choose to either do all the checkups with your gynecologist, or you can also do your checkups with your midwife in a combination. So nine out of 12 checkups can be done by the midwife. Then once you deliver your baby, there's a couple of different options. Usually you just go to the hospital and you work with the midwife currently on shift. And if you have a delivery that takes longer than 8 to 12 hours, then you might have different rotating midwives helping you. Mm. Or if you get lucky, you have, it's a belief, I have like really no idea what this could be in uh, English, meaning that there is a midwife that you already have known before your delivery and that you already had checkups with that then supports you even during labor so she comes with you to the hospital once you call her Mm. so that is really amazing but that's just like 20 percent of all births and then there is two percent of births that are done at home where you just have a midwife coming to your home which is also very different for example to the netherlands where there is a much larger chunk of women delivering their baby at home
0: yeah. In terms of what your product is, you have Kalea, which is the, an app. So if you're a pregnant woman, you download it. What's the offering? So on the one
1: side, I call it a digital friend for your pocket. The Kalea really provides you with everything you need to know. So from relevant pregnancy week knowledge, what is happening in this week? What's the size of your baby? What is it that you should watch out for in this specific um, trimester to you can track your symptoms which is really cool so Mm. all the pregnancy specific symptoms such as heartburn or back pain and all of this and based on the symptoms you get different expert knowledge plus you get workouts and nutrition plans completely personalized to your own needs and to your current status so let's say you're rather um, a fitness savvy person you're a vegetarian and you're right now having neck pain. You will get a completely different treat than a woman that is rather unsporty and maybe has no problems at all with, with symptoms. So that's what we are offering, plus a complete digital birth preparation course, which means that you really get all the information, what happens during labor, how can you best prepare, what's the breathing exercises you should know, what's delivery or labor positions, how can your partner help. Then on top of that, and I forgot to mention this in the beginning, we also have partnered up with the Midwife Association where we have Amelie, which is the largest midwife platform in Germany, where we help you to find your own physical midwife and can help you to find like an ad hoc midwife if you need someone in the next 24 hours.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask about Emily because I why I really like Kalea is that, of course, you have the pregnancy app supporting women through pregnancy, but mm-hmm. also you're matching it to Emily, which is essentially the marketplace for midwives. And- one of the things that I want to talk about is this thing about building a marketplace. And it's exciting and interesting from an investor point of view. It reminded me of a company called Peak.com, which is a travel experiences company where they sell experiences for travelers. So you can go to San Francisco and you can do a cooking class. But then they Mm -hmm. also provide the back end, which is a portal for the people who are selling these experiences to bring them online. And it reminded me a lot of Kalea, because actually what you're doing is creating this whole new ecosystem and bringing the midwives online. And I wanted to ask you about what that journey has been like, because of course, in healthcare, lots of the stakeholders have these different competing in- interests and incentives. What's your experience with the Midwife Association and helping to bring them online?
1: Oh, good question. And I can talk about this forever, but let me try to focus on a couple of key points. So I think the biggest step was really to get into discussions with the midwife association first. And that was also thanks to some other German investors, because they said, if you do something digital health related, you have to have the healthcare professionals on your side. Otherwise they will just always see you as a kind of competition mm. and they will not accept you in the market. So that was the number one goal to really understand the midwives. Yeah. We decided we can obviously go two ways. We can go with the gynecologists or we can go with the midwives. Mm. And the midwives are having much more problems than gynecologists. They are earning much less, they are Like not as much organized as doctors and it's harder and harder to find one. So we decided to work with them first. So we really did a huge effort to understand their side, their opinion, got into Mm. talks. And then once we had um, the midwife association on our side, we realized that they need some steps in terms of digitization and that they cannot do it themselves. And that's how we came up together with the idea of launching Amelie. And ever since, I think it was an, a very good step that we have them on our side. However, it's um, also very, in German, there's a saying, you need a long breath. I don't know if that exists in English. Yeah. So it, it takes time to, to work with an association that's from the healthcare segment. They have really not worked in digital spaces before. Yeah. And they are new to everything. And on top of that, they see they are very suspicious yeah. So whatever you're doing, they think you will. You want to take some something away from them. So it's always really like a tricky path of innovating, but on the other side also communicating to them, making clear what you have in mind. Mm. And I think it's still gonna take two three years until we have convinced like l- large majority. By now we have twenty five percent of all freelance midwives on the platform, mm. which less than a year after launch I think is really cool. Yeah. Very. But still like a long way to go.
0: <laughs> when you're doing something like this, are you meeting the regular midwives on the, not on the street? But are you meeting regular midwives as well as working with the people who are in the more policy roles at, as part of the union? Yes. So what we are doing is on
1: the one side with the union, we are having pretty much bi-weekly check-in calls and dual fixes. Mm. And what we realized, and I think that's a big learning, I can highly recommend everyone, Is we like integrated some more active freelance midwives into this Jofix. Yeah. So it wasn't just the high level political midwives anymore. It was also the ones that are still doing the groundwork. Yeah. That changed the dynamics of the Jofix a lot, and also got the acceptance of what we are doing much higher. And on the other side, what we also do is whenever we integrate new features or develop something new on the platform, mm. we always make sure to talk to minimum five to 10 midwives to have some surveys, to get their opinions. So we have talks with midwives every week.
0: Do you have any midwives who are part of Kalea in, in terms of being within the company
1: yet? A yes and no. So what we do have is a couple of midwives, I think in total five. Mm. that we work very closely with. So they are still doing their job as a midwife. However, they're like kind of our fix go to expert persons that always develop content with us and give us their opinions.
0: Yeah, because in this sort of thing, it's so important to have these clinical champions who really get it and get the sort of the vagaries of the job on the ground. Because however great the people in policy are, they often are very removed because they haven't worked on the ground for a long time
1: yes correct that's why i also think it's cool to have experts but that are still working hands-on in their jobs because if we hired them full-time they lost touch with what they have been doing and so it wouldn't be as valuable anymore completely agree with you
0: So then to shift to talk a little bit about insurers, one of the key markets that you're going for is the healthcare insurance market. And I wondered Mm -hmm. if you could talk a bit about that and how you've seen that segment grow, especially with something like the pandemic that's informing it in a different way in terms of market forces.
1: So maybe let me share our journey first, which I think is very interesting because before the pandemic, there was literally just two health insurance companies that reimbursed our product. And now, not even a year later, it's 19. So it has grown tremendously. And we have a full pipeline of more than 15 health insurances that will come potentially in the next couple of weeks. So I think in that sense, the pandemic has been really an accelerator in innovation for health insurances. And I can only speak for Germany in that sense. But there has also been this new law, which you might have heard of, which is called the Correct. So it's a DVG law, which includes the DIGAS, which is the Digital Health Applications. Mm. And we are not one because it makes no sense because pregnancy per se is not a, a sickness. Yeah. However, I think it started the whole notion around we want to become more digital and digital health is something that can offer more better opportunities. So I think health insurances have really understood that there is benefits for them and they have started to become much more open for it. But it's still slow and you still need to really make some convincing groundwork. Does this answer the question or do you want me to go deeper?
0: No, I, I think it's just working with insurers, Might they might have very different views of healthcare than the midwives and the midwife association. So I was wondering if there's any challenges that you've come across with working with them. And also sometimes I've been surprised at how innovative they can be. And so I was just wondering about your reflections on working with them a bit.
1: Yeah, great question. And I found it in in total very interesting how every kind of stakeholder in the healthcare system has a very different view on the whole market and so obviously what is their driving motivation on the one side they want to have more and more insured people and preferably young and healthy ones because they are less costly right on the other side they want to reduce costs and want to improve the offering what does this mean in our case we are providing something for pregnant women so this is a young target group and mostly quite healthy it's interesting for them to offer something in this segment. I think that's something that I found very interesting in general, that if you have an angle that makes sense for the health insurer that you can work with, it helps you a lot and it opens doors. But on the other side, what I found also very interesting, they are very skeptic, for example, about the whole um, topic about midwives. And they sometimes seem to be pushing the users, like the pregnant women, to go more to the gynecologists. Oh. which I find very sad because mm-hmm. there's enough studies that show that midwives are sometimes having a better effect. That also shows me that the, the whoever has the higher or bigger lobby in the end also has a bigger power, which I think is something very specific for the healthcare segment. And I hope that's going to change. Yes. But what I also find cool is that there's a kind of shift in, in thinking they are like really putting more and more focus on prevention so that they are really rather interested in preventing uh, something before than treating it when it's already there.
0: Going back to the pandemic, have you changed the way that you work as a company? And then also have you changed your product based on the events of the last year? Let me start with the second part of the question first. So when the pandemic
1: started, and I don't know if that was the same case in the UK, but it was really shitty for pregnant women because suddenly they were not allowed to deliver their babies with their partner being present. Yes, yeah, Just indeed. imagine this. You have to go through such a stressful event. You cannot even have your partner on your side. I, I really don't want to know how this felt for the women. Mm-hmm. We realized that with a product like ours, there was really we were making an impact. And women were using our, for example, breathing exercises during labor. So what we did, we instantly reacted and got some great experts to, to like come up with a lot of great content around what to take into consideration to, to, to deliver your baby during Corona times. We really tried to deliver as much crucial information to the women as possible. On the other side, we also, and that was something I'm very proud of, we realized that also midwives suddenly couldn't always go to the women anymore because they had to be in quarantine or they couldn't go there anymore. Suddenly were women left completely alone at home. Mm. And so what we did, we launched Amelie, I think in March last year, exactly when the pandemic started. So in a kind of weekend shift, we integrated this acute search functionality which means that women could search for a midwife that is available in the next 24 hours. And we were even innovating it in that sense that we were matching women, for example, in southern Germany with a midwife being um, available in northern Germany because they were just doing tele kind of midwife or video midwife chats. Yep. My team was really like working seven days a week for a couple of weeks to, to get this um, live It made me really proud. And now to your first part of the question, how we as a team changed. Obviously, the office is not the part anymore where everyone meets, which is also sad because you're losing touch with everyone and you're not having these kind of coffee chats anymore and you don't really get to see how is everyone doing. Mm. We have been doing a couple of kind of digital events and everyone cooking at home or kind of just chatting with everyone on Zoom. Mm. And I found this Also very personal, because you see how everyone is working at home. (laughs) Yeah. And also what we also did was something cool. We did a a night walk in Berlin outside, which was Mm. back then still allowed. These are the little tiny things we did. But I think overall acceptance for home office has increased heavily. And we've been doing a daily 10-minute yoga session already beforehand. But I realized that this is something which is really making a difference for everyone.
0: And how many people are you now in the Kalea team?
1: People, I think we were 18 and full-time equivalents, I think we were like 13. Mm. We have quite a couple that don't work full-time also because we have moms and dads. So that's quite cool.
0: And in terms of you're now in this position of responsibility around hiring, do you have any experiences of hiring which you haven't gone as well as you'd hoped and any lessons that you can share with us? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I think... Um, in terms of hiring, I think the biggest mistakes
1: I did in the past, and I did that at least twice, was when you really have the urgency to fill the position mm. to make sacrifices and to realize, yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but we need this person now. We Let's just hire it and give it a shot. And there was a saying that another investor told me once, a rotten apple is not getting better in a basket full of good apples. It's going to rotten the, the rest of the apples. That's really true if you hire someone. In case there is doubt, you really shouldn't hire the person and rather take two, three more months to find the perfect candidate. I think the number one lesson, and plus we, what we do is always have three cultural and personality fit interviews before we make the final decision mm-hmm. and that's done by everyone in the team even working students yeah and by doing so we make sure that it's a really democratic decision and everyone in the end also um yeah appreciates the decision and goes with it so i think it that's sounds too
0: that sounds great because I think people often you don't talk about how challenging hiring is. And it's so important because it can really make or break your startup.
1: Mm-hmm. It certainly can. Like the wrong person, and there's this other saying, culture is strategy for breakfast. Yeah. And literally, if you have someone on the team that doesn't match and we had this issue in the past, like I realized I have to act very quickly on that one.
0: Moving on to talk about another thing about startups, which is publicity. And this is something that you as a person and also Kalea are really great at. Can you share some of these amazing things you've done with Apple? You were one of the Apple faces of 2020. And then you've recently been in a video chat with Tim Cook, who's the (laughs) Apple CEO, which is incredible. How have you as a small, or you know, early stage startup ended up in, the, in this very fortunate position. <laughs> so to be fully honest, I think it's really a chain of events that in the end yeah,
1: brought up these amazing opportunities. And if you want me to talk specifically about Apple, there have been a couple of things we did in the past that now show fruitful. So the first thing was we are doing an app. So it always makes sense to have a good connection with Apple and Google. I got an introduction to the back then, that regional head of the App Store and that helped because he had us on the radar and then what Apple is doing, and I think no one really knows about it because they are not advertising it, mm. but you should keep your eyes open and ears open if you're doing an app, is that they are doing it like an Apple Accelerator program, oh. which means they are selecting 10 startups, 10 apps specific kind of areas that they are then going through a program where they put you in contact with the smartest people of Apple, help you in terms of design, UX, and so on and so forth. And we went through this program and were selected one out of 10 out of, I think, 4,000, which we got really like lucky. Wow. I think also shows that they really love what we are doing. Apple really likes digital health in general. Yeah. And so that was another kind of milestone in this whole progress. And they had us on the radar. I knew many of those people. And then once they came up with this opportunity for Apple Face of Germany, they already had me in mind. So I think if you, if you get yourself on the radar through many different touch points, that's mm. in the end helping a lot. And then in terms of Tim Cook, that yeah, was the same, like the, the person who decided to who to invite for this, had me on their, on their radar and asked me, called me a day before, said, hey, there's an opportunity, you want to participate? I said, sure. They <laughs> said, yeah, it's going to be a person from Cupertino. I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care if it's someone from Europe or whatever. Yeah, but it's really someone from Cupertino. I was like, okay. Yeah, it might be Tim Coop. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they literally told us one minute before it started only that it was him so typical apple thing
0: (laughs) very secretive and that must have got you a lot of publicity because obviously it's tim cook yes the unfortunate thing is if it wasn't the pandemic Mm.
1: it would have been in person that would have been much cooler but Nevertheless, everyone was like, how did you get this? What did you do? Oh, my God, so cool. So I think these kind of things and opportunities, they always pay off in the mid to long term.
0: One of the things you mentioned before the call was actually the being an Apple face of Germany means that when you open the App Store in Germany, your face is literally there yep (laughs) (laughs) it exactly means that it's
1: ongoing initially they they said it's only gonna happen for the what is it in in english the day of reunification in germany was um, Mm. having a 30th anniversary in october but then they decided to extend this and ever since i think i've been face of the app store at least 10 to 15 times I was surprised how many people actually offer the app store. Do you sometimes open the app store? Because I haven't been doing this often.
0: I know I, I do do I do open the app store actually because I'm often checking out new apps that people have recommended ah. to me. So yeah. See then,
1: so you are one of the people that would see me if you were in Germany or Switzerland.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've just read uh, recently that you've um, been highlighted by Sifted as one of the top 100 German startups to watch for 2021 which is great. Mm-hmm. Actually, I spoke to Mimi Billing, who's one of the senior reporters at Sifted yesterday. I interviewed her for my podcast and we talked ah. about a really interesting thing, which is getting the balance for startups right between PR and being out there. And then also actually having a great product to really talk about. I wondered if you could elaborate a bit on this because my view was that these days startups are told, look, you have to be out there know, you have to have a social media presence. People need to know your brand. And Mimi's point was actually that, yes, that is true, but equally having something really great to talk about helps with that. How do you balance that as a company? I think that's a
1: very good point she's bringing up, I completely agree. So I think we went through a couple of different waves and I think that's completely in line with what she's saying. In the beginning, we put a lot of focus on PR, but back then we had a kind of MVP product, which wasn't very unique. So we were out there, but nobody cared. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Then we had a phase where we had a very amazing product, but it's not very in in my nature to be very out there, present and market myself all the time. Mm. So we had an amazing product, but not too many people knew about it. Just recently, I decided to refocus on putting myself out there, especially me as a founder and to create more buzz. And I realize the difference now because now we have something that people care about. We have actually something to say. Mm. And this combination is much more powerful than it has been in the past. So I completely agree.
0: Yeah. I wanted mm-hmm. to get your view around how can we improve visibility of women in health tech? And as a female founder, is this something that plays into your ideas around hiring and positioning yourself
1: I completely agree that we have to be more visible and I, I want to be more visible like myself as well. And so I think the more out there, the, the more kind of role models are in the market for others to get inspired. So I think that's very important. And when it comes to the like female investor kind of perspective, I found it also very disturbing that I only have like you and two angel investors, mm-hmm. female angel investors, uh, in the company. I'm wondering how is that possible? We are having a female product, yeah, but there is just not very many female-led funds. But this is a question for you, how we can change this perspective. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. But, through the podcast, through trying to get out there and interview, I'm interviewing lots of female investors, to, as you say, to create role models out there. Because if you don't see female founders or female investors, you might think this is not really the sector for me. I'll go into management consulting or, or something else. Uh, so maybe I, wondered... I, can, I can share Sorry.
1: something on this one, if you yeah. if
0: you don't mind. Because I, I did a lot of kind of lectures
1: last year where I got invited, like obviously digitally to really like well-known universities in Germany mm-hmm. where I did one hour lectures on different topics and one of the professors was so kind to share the feedback from the students yeah and it gave me really goosebumps because there were plenty of female students that really said wow it's so cool to see a female founder on the stage she gave me a new perspective and now I'm feeling more encouraged to do something on my own even if I just maybe inspired one or two people That's already more than enough. And it shows me that doing some of these kind of things is very important. Well, that that is
0: something that gives goosebumps. It's so great that you're managing to inspire the next generation of founders. I noticed on your LinkedIn is that you say the word femtech as part of your Mm -hmm. kind of the line. Actually, I hate that word. I think it's really pejorative. Women are 50% of the world. And why do we have to badge our stuff as femtech? I'm actually just in the process of investing in a sperm company around fertility, and they don't badge themselves as mentech. So I just wondered (laughs) your view around femtech. And obviously, it's there for a reason, and it's good for publicity. But you know, What's your view on it? And is it something that will diffuse out of our lexicon as we move forwards? (laughs) I like that question a lot. And I, you know what? I hate this term too.
1: I had a lot of discussions about this, even on a panel at IFA last year. Mm. And my personal view on this one is we need this term right now as a kind of intermediate term, just to, we need the, the female quota, is that the right word in English? Yeah. Like for more women on um, in companies and the executive boards. Mm-hmm. It's the same for me in that sense. We need this to get awareness, to get people talking about this. We need to have this bucket where investors, especially men investors, can park and position these kind of invests into. Mm-hmm. But I think in five to 10 years from now, no one's going to talk about Femtech anymore because it has been established and well-established. But unfortunately, I think we need something like this right now to create more bust. That's my opinion. I'm not, not sure if I'm right, but Do you understand what I'm
0: thinking? Yeah, I do. And I I know I agree. I think that it's all of this stuff around women, femtech. It's necessary to get to another stage. It's a transition into a place where women's health and and femtech, whatever that comes underneath that umbrella, is actually seen as more just normal technology in healthcare. In the same way, we say digital health or health tech. But we don't really need to because in healthcare, of course, all of healthcare is moving to being a technology industry. So maybe in the future, we won't need to use these words, digital health, med tech, health tech, etc. Anyway, we're (laughs) we're running out of time. So I just want to ask you a couple of questions to end. So the first one is, you're obviously very inspiring. Every time I speak to you, I always have a sort of feeling of energy afterwards, which I think is great. If anyone, cool. out there is, <laughs> if anyone out there is listening to this and they're thinking about starting their own health tech startup, do you have any tips that you think are really important for people to keep in mind as they make their own journey?
1: It's a very general kind of recommendation, but honestly, one of the most important I found in my journey is to not stop believing in yourself and what you're doing and to not take feedback from investors too personal. Because that's yeah. what happened to me sometimes when I got too many rejections in the beginning because I couldn't find investors. Mm. I doubted everything I did. I doubted myself and I took everything personal. And it made me nearly stop what I'm doing and really nearly made me cry every day. Wow. This might be the case for everyone who is founding. Some get very lucky, some they don't. Sometimes you might be the only one believing in yourself and don't stop. Obviously, you take feedback, but... <laughs> be strong
0: <laughs> that's such an important point and I think it's so important in anything right and, and I think that's it's so underrated people don't talk about that you have to keep going even when the only person who's backing you is you and if you don't show up for yourself then how can you expect other people to show up for you
1: yep correct
0: the last question I have today is really, what next for Kalea? What does the next year hold for you and, and what do you hope to gain from it? First of all, I think
1: 2021 is going to be our year. I'm very like eager to make this even more successful than last year. And the key innovations we are planning to do is, first of all, become the largest tailor midwife platform in the whole world, really integrating tailor functionality for everyone that is active on the platform. So I'm very excited about this one. And on the other side, to extend our app offering and to integrate all the courses we already have produced for the whole part post-birth. And so to really become the platform, not just for pregnancy, but also for new parents. So I think that's all going to happen this year and I'm very excited.
0: Wow, that's big ambitions. Thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me and very excited to hear the next ones also. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Also head to the show notes to follow us on social media for all the latest content in health tech.